Yat A. Hello. Welcome to Real Native Roots Untold Stories, a podcast by a Native woman with deep roots. Hosted by yours truly, Vicki Katsuli Boy Oldman. I am a lover of stories, a connector, and a holder of wisdom keepers. Each month, we will be connecting with our Native relatives and exploring what medicine our guests share and offer to us. Please join me on this uncharted journey to learn, connect, and reflect. Thank you. Hello, Yate. Good afternoon. Good morning, relatives. How are you all doing today? It is June. Happy June. Six months into 2022. And I tell you, 2022 has been a zinger. And I <laughs> I talked to creator. I'm like, well, you know, it's been rough. And so there must be something ahead that you're preparing me for because it's uh, definitely been trying. And I wake up every day and I do my best every day. Best looks different for me every day. And so I hope you are taking care of yourself. I hope you are doing what you need to do to be in a place of goodness and a place of good health and good mental beings. So what I've been sitting with, I always let you know kind of where I'm at right now. And I've been really thinking about doing another silent retreat. Last year, I did one for three days. And my humble opinion, that was too short. I think I'm going to look for a five-day And I even heard this like a 10 day, which, oh my gosh, that would probably be just life altering 10 days of no talking, no nothing, just silence. I'm going to be looking for one. I want to definitely do at least a five day this year before the end of the year. So, so what am I saying there is like lately, I feel like solitude has been speaking to me, wanting to go into my shell and be quiet a little bit. I know it'll do me some good. So I'm curious for you all. It, when you think about solitude, when you think about silence, what does that offer you? What does it offer you? When I am in that space, it offers me a lot. And it's just hard to sort of slow down because <laughs> we're always moving so fast. And so anyway, I wanted to just share a little bit of where I'm at, just checking in with you all. This morning, I was looking for a poem. And so I pulled from one of the books that I love and it was, I think it was really appropriate. I think my guests would have loved that poem, but it's kind of long. My intuition told me, look for another one. So I did. I found another one. And I've not actually read from this particular writer to you all. And so this will be the first time you've heard this particular author. And it's Young Pueblo. And the name of the book is called Inward. The name of the poem is called Healing Yourself will ask more of you. And it starts like this. More rest, more self-love, more letting go, more time for learning, more space for transformation, more honesty about how you feel, more time developing good habits, more courage to try new practices, more faith in yourself, and the process, more time cultivating your inner peace. Hmm. 
Yeah, there's a couple of lines here that just really just struck me and simple, but so powerful. And as I look at this poem, it takes time, it takes discipline, it takes commitment, and it takes an awakening. Like you have to almost sort of wake up and realize that for us to heal, that we need to do these things. So I hope you enjoyed that. All right. I am going to introduce our guests. I am so excited. I really am. I was really looking forward to this. And, you know, I don't believe in accidents. I really believe that everything happens when it needs to happen. And I'm a true believer of that. And I believe that when we work hard enough and we manifest and we pray and we work towards it, things happen and things happen when they need to. And so I can tell you never in my dreams that everything I would be talking to our guests here. Never. <laughs> so it is so interesting how things fall into line, like I'm saying. So this man is a man of God and he is a family man. He has four children and a beautiful wife. He lives in Farmington, New Mexico. He is Dana and Navajo. And um, humble beginnings for sure. I had a brief opportunity to talk to him before today and know that he had a very humble upbringing. I think we grew up in the same era. He's definitely older than I am, although maybe I look way younger. But anyway, so he is a comedian, a Navajo comedian. He is a motivational speaker. He also is an actor. So when I first saw him was actually when they had released this DVD, like back in 2005. And I bought that DVD and I was just blown away. Like I had never seen anything really like that. Like I knew there were native comedians, but this one really got me. Like it had so much deep belly laughs. You know, when you can't stop laughing, it was just hilarious to even feel like that someone can describe and you can understand the humor. It was just, it was hilarious. And I became a fan and every now and then would hear things. And I actually saw him once live and in person. And I want to say that was like in, I don't know, 2010, 20, 2008. So I have to make it my bucket list to go see him live. I'm sure it's amazing. Anyway, without further ado, I want to introduce to you my new friend, and I've been getting to know him. And oh, real quickly, how, how we connected recently is I was on Instagram one evening, and then I saw this other podcast of these two Native guys, and I got curious. I, did, I wasn't following them, but I saw them, and I, so I clicked on it because they were live, and um, they start talking. Just at that moment, they had introduced our guests today. His name is James Jones. And I listened to him and I'm like, oh my God, is this the same dude? <laughs> is this the same guy that I saw? He, I think he grew up. <laughs> he had so much wisdom. I was blown away. And I immediately, I reached out. I was like, you know what? All I can do is ask. And he could say no, but I asked, right? And he said, yes. So yay. I'm so excited. So James, welcome. Say hello to our listeners. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, good morning to everybody out there in podcast land. I don't know if I grew <laughs> up or, or something happened along the way. 
<laughs> Maybe a combination of both. <laughs> yeah, I hit my head on something somewhere. <laughs> but I say that humbly. I'm so excited to have you here. And it's it's really cool. Like, you know, the one thing I'll say right off the bat is what I appreciate about you is you remain humble. Like you're willing to connect to people and you don't, I feel that way. Like you gave me a chance, like, Hey, yeah. And so I, I love that. Cause that means you're, you leave things open and see where it goes. So thank you for being here with us. Yes. yes. And I've always wanted to keep that type of mentality throughout. Even before I started comedy, I was always easily to talk to people, even if you were just waiting for a bus or you were at the mall, I would just throw a joke out there or something. I know that that's not in our our genetic makeup sometimes because we feel like when we see other natives, we just want to give them the native glare and walk off like, <laughs> ew, kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm always apt to do certain things whenever I get the calling. And I think it goes back to when herding sheep her you can learn a lot from herding sheep and i know that everybody wants to eat sheep but what about the flip side of the coin of herding sheep so yeah i learned a lot from sheep herding well tell us one thing that you learned about sheep herding well they're not always gonna do what you want them to do (laughs) they're gonna jump the fence they're gonna get into trouble you gotta pick stickers out of them you gotta Brand them, give them shots. And I don't mean brand like heat type brand. I mean like when we grandma used to dip the dip the glue or the paint and you put these little numbers or your initials on them. And there there's a lot from all of that. And what I really remember is following my grandma around, Shamasana. My my grandma, I have two of them that really were influential in my life. So Going with the matriarchal society here, my grandma on my mom's side and my grandma on my dad's side really had a lot to do with my upbringing, and Navajo was my first language. So following them around, chasing sheep, loading sheep, selling sheep, shearing sheep, I seen my grandma spin wool from the color of the sheep. Some of it she would dye. Some of it she would use. And right now in Santa Fe, one of her rugs still hangs at one of the galleries there. Mm. But when you learn, it's I always call it a karate kid teaching, karate kid upbringing. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to hurt the sheep? Why must I get up early? Why must I cook this? You know, And you just go crazy as a kid because you think like, Everybody in the world lives like that, that everybody lives on powdered eggs and commodity cheese and the canned ham and the canned, can, we lived on everything that was canned. So now I make a joke about it. That's why we're called Native American, because we lived out of everything that was canned. And, uh, and I really had no choice but to live with my, with my grandparents because my mom was always going to school at UNM. So I was what they call in modern society, a latchkey kid. And Shiprock was my hometown. I was born and raised in Shiprock. 
But my roots, they always say that you always introduce your roots from where your mom is from. Mm-hmm. Originally, where your mom is from. Not where your mom lives now, but where your mom is from. So my mom is originally from a place called Red Valley, Arizona, which is about 30 miles to the west of Shiprock. So when we would get transported out there, that that would be the first order of business was go look for the sheep. That, that, that stern type of teaching. And as we journey in this conversation between you and I, I hope that the audience picks up on why they did some of the things that they did and some of those things that we misinterpret as mean or getting after or yelling at. That's not the case. It's it's tough love. We need that tough love to survive this tough world. That was the one thing that I really took away from my upbringing. The true core of what it means to be a survivor, a survivor of you filling that blank, whatever that is, relationship, disease, drugs, alcohol, whatever the case may be. So herding sheep was always a lesson that my grandma would say, get up early. The sheep's not going to feed themselves. They're not going to feed us. Back then, this was like back in the mid-70s, when, when we would go to trading posts, when we would have candy or ice cream, and you would you would hear Navajo all the time. And to speak Navajo at age, gosh, the earliest I can remember was like age four. I was speaking Navajo and asking my grandma a question like, "Shamasana, I guess this is like Shana and it would be like, Grandma, can you buy me some candy? And to, to say that sentence now is like, if you heard a child that was four years old say that, you would, we would be floored. Yeah. But it's our, it was our way of life. That's, that's the message is our way of life was simplicity. It's when we decided that, okay, well, let me go outside of this whatever that is, off the reservation. and You get involved in school, you get involved in this, you get involved in other cultures and stuff, and you feel like you're less than. You feel like you were cheated out of. You feel like, man, there was, there was movies that I could have watched. There was dances that I could have went to. <laughs> like you said everything happens for a reason, and that wasn't my cup of tea. That wasn't my calling at that moment. We don't realize that when we do have a calling that it's going to happen in creator's timing, not wow. in our timing. And as much as we want to fit that puzzle piece into that little slot so bad, yeah, it's not going to happen that way. If we trust that the plan is good, if we trust in our tzodazin, our prayer life, that means that that's, that's who you are, you trust in, you have faith underneath that banner. A lot of people have lost the translation of that, that who you are through prayer life. 
that's what you that's what you're going to become whether you don't have faith or whether you do have faith but you trust that you know that beyond the shadow of a doubt that you give thanks all the time and i remember hearing like going to ceremony when we were kids and i heard one of my uncles he was he was always on and off with his with his drinking so we all got invited we all had to do the work we had to butcher a sheep and Back to the sheep. See, there it is again. <laughs> we have the butcher's sheep, you know. Hold it real good. That sheep's going to slip out of your hand. And we would hold it, and she would cut the throat, and all the blood would gush out, and she'd bend the neck, bend the neck. And there were certain techniques that you find out for yourself that works mm-hmm. as far as butchering sheep. That is a whole teaching lesson in itself about using every part of it. Because I can remember sleeping on sheepskin when we were kids. And that was our way of life. And uh, if I knew now, like, that was going to be short-lived, if I knew now, I wouldn't have taken it for granted. Mm. Like those times with my grandparents or sitting by a barrel that's cut in half and it's rusted and that's your that's your stove and you have stove pipe that's going all the way up to the top of of the house or the cabin or the hogan that's about to fall apart, but you're you use wire. Wire was like our welder. <laughs> and we still use baling wire to this day, no matter what. I have a whole bit raw baling wire inside of my truck right now. Just in case. So you take take away these little life lessons growing up. Mm-hmm. And, and you try to remind people today of how great that they are through what we've been through. That even just that term, it means good. Is it good with you? How are you feeling? Is it good? These things that we ask when we were growing up as as kids, that was my my base foundation, my karate kid, hurting sheep, butchering sheep, sleeping on their skin, eating their intestines. I mean, it may probably to the to the person out there that's never experienced anything like that, mm-hmm. that is gross. You would think of that as that, that how can you do that? That's, that's our way of life. And when you try to explain that to somebody else, like if you were in Mississippi or in Boston, you say, Hey, I eat sheep. People are going to be like, Oh yeah. Lamb. No, I mean the whole thing. I mean the sheep intestines, I mean the kidneys, the blood, everything. I eat the whole thing and I sleep on their skin. (laughs) People would probably like, Holy cow. I better report this guy for animal cruelty. (laughs) And that's what I mean. Yeah. And our way of life. It's so beautiful that you say that because it made me think about, particularly when you're talking about the, you know, we're learning about lessons from the sheep, but when you described about 
sleeping on it right away. It made me think about that smell. I don't know if you know that smell. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but there's that smell in the Hogan. And I don't, yeah, maybe you have a better, a better yeah. <laughs> version of describing that smell. <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess you get used to the smell of a sheep, you know, that it smells like a sheep corral, but you know that you're bed. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't mind it at all because all day you're you're herding sheep and you're at, at the corral, you're feeding the dogs. You're always doing something that revolves around herding the sheep. What a metaphor to have is, is to have the sheep. You take care of the main things in your life and they will take care of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is going to take care of you if you take care of it. It, what, what is it? That's, that's really something you have to ask yourself that question. What is it on the two sides that take care of you and you take care of it? Whether it's a big problem, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's your, your calling, you have to take care of it. That's when you become that you become a sheep herder, you become a rug weaver. Our elders understood that concept without even mentioning it. There was, yeah, they talk about certain things about how these life lessons, how you get up early, you got to make breakfast, you got to take care of the dogs, you got to take care of the sheep, you got to go where the grass is greener. And when you're in that, that young frame of mind, you don't understand all of it. Yeah. So now as adults, if we we're going to trust in creator, why don't we, we don't have to understand everything. That's what I mean. That there's so much lessons that we can just learn from just sheep herding. Maybe that's the peace that we all seek. Maybe we just need to go back and herd sheep for about a week or two. Maybe we just need to go back to grandma's house. And do you remember those teachings when you go back and you clean up the old hogan, the old house, and you get it ready and you build a fire in it and you sit outside and you put some... Uh, some coffee on the, on the on the stove there, and you drink it as black, as black as black can be. And you ponder what these words that they that they said to you, does that still apply? Am I still applying that today? Yeah, you can have ceremony, you can have all of this, but, but remember, ceremony is not going to do it for you. You have to do it on the integrity. There's nothing in this world that you can't overcome without you having the mentality to overcome these, these things in your life. It's not too big for you as long as you remember what the teaching is. Jonah, thank you. So you mentioned your grandmother's and talked a little bit about growing up in sheep herding. I'm curious a little bit about your Hopi side. 
Yeah, my what what part what what village is you, is it your father? My uh, my mom's side. Oh, your mom's side. Okay. So I'm curious about that side of the family. Can you share a little bit about what that was like going I'm assuming you went back and forth every now and then. Every yeah, that's the key word right there is every now and then we would go back to uh my little village of Hope Bella, Arizona. I am a roadrunner clan from from my Hoku side. So backstory, my great-great-grandfather, Titus Lamson, met my great-great-grandmother, Des Panez, there in Phoenix Indian School. And my grandma went to, my great-grandmother, it's funny because my great-grandmother went to the 10th grade and came back after she had met my grandfather, my great-grandfather. But my grandmother never went to school. So she she came back from Phoenix with a 10th grade education. So it was always cool to see my great-grandmother read, like, the newspaper or to watch Star Trek. And she understood <laughs> it. And I was like, wow, great-grandmother understands this. Or she's sitting there reading the paper and drinking her coffee. So we would go, my grandmother, Alberta Thomas, we would go back and forth to Hotvela um, to watch some of the some of the ceremonies in in the village, or even to sleep there um, in the cornfields that that was in and around Hotvela. And I always remember my great grandfather in this Massey Ferguson tractor and cruising down the road like it's nobody's business, and he's gonna go do his business. Cars would be honking at him, <laughs> and, him. and here's this little. Five foot two native man, but he's doing like huge things. And he would always have some sort of tourist that would help him out. And I think it was just people who were interested in that way of life, Mm -hmm. what that entails, what that meant. So he would take us, we were always eating. It's it's like every, every aunt and uncle and cousin that I had, we, he took us to their, house and we were always eating oh all right let's go to the next one and we're eating i think we ate like 16 times from 12 o'clock to six o'clock one day and they were speaking hopi and a little bit i understand but i don't understand a lot but standing there in some of those houses and even like a hogan that my great-grandfather built that was there we would we would sleep there or we would sleep in my my Aunt Julia's house in, in the village. And then we would go watch the snake dance. And that was like one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen <laughs> in my life was to watch and witness the snake dance. And, you know, I, to me, it was just an extension of being, being in the home life. Mm-hmm. I never realized that there was two tribes. I never realized that one was Hopi and the other was Navajo. So that, that, that begs the question, why do we create divisions mm. with one family? If a kid can understand that we're just one family, one, one place, or is it along the lines that we lose that in our translations? We're, okay, well, you're going to be this, you're going to be that, and skin color is like this, and all of these things, rather than I understood it finally, what my grandma was talking about. 
that's that's the key term is the five-fingered people, the human being, the human element in all of this. Boom, I finally got it when I was getting older. Like, okay, well, a lot of the stuff makes sense. And being part Hopi really means a lot to me now. I know that now being age 51 and trying to trying to keep it all together, not just for myself, but for people that you become, you become that love in the certain sense as a yo otne, the love. That's that. I finally understood what my grandma was talking about when she says a yo otne pito kasto. That you're walking in love, the love of your your fellow human being, the love of your life, your your enough, your your own life is what she was talking about. When you're able to establish that type of foundation with yourself, that's when you can start helping others rather than being the wounded healer. I don't know if you've ever seen a wounded healer. You probably see it a lot in like war movies where one person is shot and they're still trying to carry somebody else and they're not getting very far. That's what I call the wounded healers is that you're still hurting and you're still trying to help somebody else. And we're not going to have that complete healing in our life. We're always going to have to deal with something. Mm-hmm. What is that something that we're going to deal with with the rest of our life? For me, it's my addiction to alcohol and drugs. Yeah, I can say that I've been sober for 26 years, but that doesn't mean that I don't struggle with it every day. If at any given moment, if I let it, here's the key thing is you let it. You let it get to you. You let it yourself grab, you grab a, a six-pack or a 12, whatever the case may be, but your intention is to engage in it. Your intention is to say, I'm going to partake in this, but I know that I can't, I can't function in the right way if I engage in this. That's what I mean, that we have this nature that we have to control. That, all right, well, every day I'm not going to do that. Every day I have to make a conscientious decision that I'm not going to do that. That's what I've learned from being a family family of one, no matter if it's Hopi or Navajo, in my in my upbringing. And we would go back to Red Valley and they would send us off with gifts and my great-grandfather would, uh, would talk to us in English because he went to school at Phoenix Indian School. And he was just little... This, this, even as a kid, I was always... I was always taller than he was, and he would he would grab me by the shoulders or tap me on the shoulders, and he says, "Good, good, strong man." He would always say in a broken Hopi English accent, "Good, good, strong man." And he would have this his uh his purple haircut and his little his little uh, bun in the back, and his hair would be silver. 
and you could see his face be weather beaten and he would look at my grandma and there was a love that they had that I didn't see them hug or say, I love you. It was just being there. That her longing to go back to Hope Bella was, was something that I never asked about. Mm. It, I, but I knew it was there. And that's why she always wanted to go back there. Even in the last days that I was with my grandma, she was on dialysis, and we would carry the, um, the dextrose bags with us. And she says, let's go to Hope Villa. So we would go out to Hope Villa, even though that her dad has long passed away, but she would still go out there and visit relatives. Whoa, that's it. That's love. Holy cow, I finally got it. You know, it's not just mm-hmm. the love. It's the love of the whole mm. So why don't we love as a whole? Because we're, we, do we realize the wrong things? Or are we realizing the right things? Are we making time for those people that are important in our lives? Or are we just, eh, they're all right. Eh, I'll see them. Or I see them on Instagram or Facebook. <laughs> That's not what they would tell us. That's not the way we were taught. We were taught to embrace. And going back to the story of Hope Weller, we would come back and we'd stop at the training post on the way home. My, my grandma would see somebody and they would hug each other. And they would exchange all the the endearment of me, of mine, of my tzalech, my little brother or my older brother, cousin or my mom, my aunt, whatever the case may be, it was always mine. Shit. But we don't, we don't say that anymore. We don't, we don't do that. If we see each other at a mall or Walmart, we just turn the other direction. Like, Oh, they probably just want money. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy how, where, where did we go off track? Where did we go wrong? And so that's mainly a lot of the reason why I wanted to stay in the loop of Bayati, the top of people. Going back to those teaching of you talk it, you walk it, you live it. That way your life will equal to something bigger. Whatever that big is, it's in your heart, those dreams. Those dreams were put in your heart by creator. How you're going to get there, it's going to take faith. It's going to take a lot of strength. But if you fall off of that, and we can easily fall because it's easier to take the road that's less traveled. Nobody wants to go that road. And when my grandma would say, was Georgia King, the good road? Was everything that's good that's underneath that umbrella? Was that road right there? Is nobody wants to go down? But it was less traveled than the road that's over here on this side, where everybody is doing whatever they want to do, whatever they want to say, whatever they believe. Their opinions are the truth now, rather than Kojiyasha. 
What about the teaching over here on this side? Kojiya Shaba Yati Nasha don't Yateho Inato Nidasha. See, in ceremony, that's what we're, we're told too. Is John Inza An Awa Ivan Aishabanina? A whole Wadi Desintakat. That was one of the things that was told to me when I got caught for DUI. Was the elders getting after me because I chose to drink. I chose to have a party. I chose to steal jewelry from my grandma. <laughs> yeah, it was it was not good. And I was and I say this because I was a bad person. I didn't listen. I had walked this this road, this this broad road that everybody's on the all the things that you're not supposed to do, I was in it. And I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to... It felt like I couldn't wait to hurt people. Now, you see the the, 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 the other side of the product now. But to see me back then, there's, there's a lot of people that will tell you that I've burned a lot of bridges. There's a lot of people that will tell you that Oh, that James is no good. He was, he was evil to the core. And yeah, I walked that road. So I know what it entails. And I understood what they were talking about when they said, be careful to walk that road because you're planting seeds. You're planting seeds along the way. Not karma. Karma is a secular way of looking at these things. But our mentality, our way, our wisdom says that you plant those seeds that will come back and they will grow if you're not careful. And that's the hard part. That's the bitter pill that we all have to swallow at some point in our life is that those seeds that we planted, they come back on us. But yet we're like, why does bad stuff have to happen to me? Yeah, I've said that all the time. Why does bad <laughs> stuff have to happen to me? Well, just look back. All you have to do is pause and look back. Mm. For forgiveness. That that repent. And to say that, okay, well, I've done that. I cried because I did all these bad things because I wanted forgiveness. I didn't want that anymore. I wanted to spit it out, but I knew I had to deal with the aftermath. And that's the part that really was hurtful to me because that I hurt people in my life. We can, we can say and rant and cry all we want on social media and say that this person was like this, this person. And you see it all the time. They're putting all their dirty laundry out there. I'm thinking, oh, just be careful. Just be careful of what you say because you're writing this in a contract now and you're putting it on social media in black and white and you're sealing it and saying that this is what it is. And I and become mean, hateful, and, and you become this person you don't want to be. And then you ask yourself the question, how did I get here? I think sometimes we can answer our own questions by that. If we just look back to that simplicity 
of a of love. That's what's going to stabilize you as you start to make the change. And that has to take a decision that has to come when you want that change. When you're tired of the sick and tired, when you're tired of being sick and tired, when you say, I had enough, I'm done hurting myself. That's the big thing is we hurt ourselves. That we feel that emptiness on the inside. We try to find something to fill it. And we sometimes we find the wrong things. It goes back to feeding your flesh. We want to feed the flesh. We want to go out and have a good time. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're out there and you're doing things that you're not supposed to, you're stealing, rent, thieving, it's, it's hurtful to you. You start to fill that void, which I did. Because I'm going to talk about how that emptiness of losing my dad at an early age, I was trying to find that. And if I didn't find that, I, 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 was, I was hurting. I was hurting myself more than I was hurting other people. I was planting those seeds because I felt like I had a validation that since my dad had passed away, that I'm going to hurt, and this is the way I'm dealing with it. So shut up and drink with me. <laughs> that was like my mentality. Like I said, I really hurt a lot of people. Not only that, but I hurt myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, 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 so much there to unpack in mine. And I asked myself those questions like, like how, what, what went wrong, right, in our lives and where we don't really understand love? Sometimes, like it took me a while to really understand what self-love means. People would throw that word around. And I would say this past three years, I finally figured out like what it really means. So how we do hurt ourselves. You know, we beat ourselves up so much. Everybody has a story. and Everybody has gone through some hard times. Some have figured it out. Some are still learning. But I think... I think you said earlier on, like, we're always going to have something. Something's always going to come up. And so it's a matter of whatever skills that you learn to use that as you navigate throughout the day and throughout the week. But it also made me curious about, for you, when did you finally say enough is enough? I'm tired of being tired. When did that pivotal moment happen for you and you started to shift your thinking, your behaviors, 